Welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast, a place of healing and transformation in your relationship with your body, food, and fitness. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury. I'm an intuitive healer and coach and founder of our Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in without diets, deprivation, and self-sacrifice. Think of this podcast as your empowering and fun self-love guide, where you'll get real-time advice and tangible tools as we navigate this body and food freedom journey together. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Confident Feminine Body Conversation. We have a really special guest expert here today, and I'm going to be introducing her in a moment. But first, I just want to welcome you into this community, the Confident Feminine Body community. And I want to introduce myself. I'm Elizabeth Marbury, and I am the owner and founder of our 12-week Confident Feminine Body program, where I help women to really build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in. And we do this through healing our relationship with food, through intuitive eating, and really becoming masterful at setting boundaries so we're not constantly leaking our time, our energy, our power to others. And I'm so passionate about helping women to just make peace with their bodies and feel comfortable in their skin. And our guest expert today is a good friend of mine. We work together in my yoga and dance studio, and she is... She is one of those people that when you meet her, she just like sparkles and she just raises the vibration of the room. And so you are in for a big treat today with her. So let me officially introduce her. So this is Leslie Consimius. She has had a passion for health and well-being inspired by her personal struggles with autoimmune disease as an adolescent. She's going to share more about her story with us. So her mission is to change the paradigm of health through empowerment and education. She is a registered nurse and board certified health and wellness coach, and she is also a stress management and resiliency trainer. She is convinced, as as am I, that coaching is the missing link in our health system. And it is not, it not only equips individuals with more knowledge on what to do to take better care of themselves, but it also shows them how to do it to create lasting change. And on top of being an integrative coach, Leslie wears many different hats, such as group fitness instructor, certified yoga instructor, professional dancer, and choreographer. And in her, her free time, she, you can find her learning about neuroscience, dancing, and playing with her yellow lab. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Hello, Elizabeth. I'm so excited to talk about this. And and today we are going to be talking about befriending your brain to up-level your resilience and why we should stop focusing so much on stress management. And I'm so excited to dive in. I know you have so much to share and teach us today. And before we do, can you share a little bit about who you are and kind of how your journey in getting here into this place of being a wellness coach? Sure. Thank you. Um, So yeah, my journey, I guess, really started um, when I was 13. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. And I, um, ever since then, wanted to better take care of myself. I think I understood at that young age how important uh, my mindset and how 
being proactive with my health, with nutrition, with sleep, all those kinds of things matter to help mitigate my symptoms. And I always kind of thought, well, if this is going to be forever, let me make it the best I can and not, I don't know, I didn't, I just didn't believe that I had to take a medication and be kind of doomed or succumb to what the disease does to me. I, I felt like I could have control. So I've always been learning and um, experimenting on myself, seeing different kinds of practitioners. I eventually went to nursing school and loved that profession. And in the past five years have done coaching and really love that. Like you mentioned, I feel like when I realized what it was and it's sort of a new profession, I think people are realizing it really is a missing piece because we have a lot of top down telling us what to do but it's missing our like innate knowledge of what our body knows and what our mind knows, what our whole being knows about us to be true. And we can have all this knowledge, right? But it doesn't translate to action. It doesn't mean we do anything with it. So I love the quote, if knowledge was the only thing we needed, we'd all be billionaires with six pack abs, <laughs> right? So we don't just need the education. We don't just need to Google things. That's great. We have access to all this knowledge, but coaching comes in to help with the implementation. So what stories are holding me back, like in my mindset, what do I need to set up in my environment for success? All these things to like problem solve and make enhancements that's sometimes just hard to do on your own. Um, and that's where coaching come in to really just like be your support person and partner and help you think outside the box and uh, create new ideas and make your life better from all angles. Mm, I totally agree with that. And one of my coaches actually said to me, that information is not transformation. Yeah. And I think that's really, really interesting because I, I hadn't invested in coaching until 2019. Actually, it was, it was the very beginning of 2019. And ever since I, so I've, I've worked now with two coaches for myself and it has completely shifted everything for me in my life. And, and before working with a coach, I've always been like a personal development junkie, you know, like consuming the information, right? Like reading the books and listening to the podcasts and, and reading the articles and all of that's important, right? Like we need the information, but I love how you say that, that it's like, it, a lot of us kind of stop there and we get really overwhelmed too of like, okay, well this, this like sounds good, but I have two kids and I have two jobs and I have, you know, and then life happens and it's like, well, how do how do you implement this into your life? And I think that's where coaching is super powerful. And we are so on the same page about that. And I think it's powerful for you to share it too, as a registered nurse, right? Because, you know, as a person who's in the health field and knowing that there's so much value in that, of course, of course we need that, but it's like a piece of the wellness world that we're kind of missing. A lot of us are missing. Yeah, absolutely. And being a patient myself, you know, on that side of it and seeing, just not feeling maybe bought in to what doctors would tell me or feel shut down by what I thought was right. Like I had a doctor, a GI doctor tell me, and I asked him what I should be eating for my digestive disease. And he said, huh, doesn't matter. <laughs> so he completely shut me out. So anyway, my point is there's the integration of the patient knowledge. Um, medical doctors are so knowledgeable and we absolutely need them too. We just need this like team approach. We need more, more people on your team. Absolutely. And I know, I know a huge part of part of my work and I think what what you do as well with your clients is it's really getting you getting the client back in touch with their body's wisdom. Like you had when you asked that question to your doctor, that was like an intuitive feeling you had is like this feels important to me and that's like a signal a message from from your body, right? And so I feel like coaching is a way to help people get back in alignment with their truth, what their body's, you know, signal is 
and really listen so they can take action and start to trust themselves too. So they're not waiting on a doctor to give them permission to listen to their body. Right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Let's get into talking about our, our, our subject for today. You and I could like go on so many tangents because this is the magic of us. We just like can talk forever about all these things. We're so obsessed with, with this work. So I would love for you to share with us about um, neuroscience and how how our brains impact our relationship with stress and how, and just like how we feel in our bodies and, and kind of what we're up against with our brains. Yeah. I like saying that, like, let's take a, a deeper dive into what we're up against because we're not really set up for success in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways we're very empowered, but the understanding like of how our brain works, I think is important in understanding stress and giving yourself a little bit of grace when you are stressed out or when you don't react as you want. Right. We've all probably done that. So so um, very dumbing down neuro, some areas of our brain and how it works. So we have our, so say we have these two parts of our brain, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. The amygdala is the older part of the brain in the limbic system. It evolved before this other part, prefrontal cortex. And I'm going to point up here because it's more up here. And then the amygdala is maybe more back here. So that part of our brain is responsible for our stress response. It wants immediate pleasure. It wants that dopamine hit, right? Immediate gratification. Um, and it wants safety. So it's like basic needs and immediate um, satisfaction. Um, so then we have, we grew, eventually humans grew our prefrontal cortex. This is the area of our brain that sets us apart from dogs and other animals where we can critically think, we can have emotions, uh, we can think about long-term goals, we can make decisions that feel really good. So very different parts of our brain and what's happening is they're constantly kind of uh, at odds with each other. They clearly want different things. So an example, it's 8 a.m. and you walk into the office. You probably don't walk into an office anymore, <laughs> but say last year you walked into your office. It's 8 a.m. You just had breakfast and there's a bunch of donuts, delicious looking donuts in the break room. But you say, I'm full. I just had a nice nutritious breakfast. I have a meeting. I'm excited. I can do without those. And, you know, um, it's, it's not really going to make me feel good in the long run if I have a donut, right? You have this like nice relaxed thought, you pass up the donut. Then three o'clock rolls around, you haven't had lunch, you've been in stressful meetings, your boss made you mad, and you go into that break room and all you can do is want all the donuts and then eat all the donuts, right? So same situation, completely different reaction. So when we're in a stressed state, like at 3 p.m., we want that immediate pleasure and gratification. And we're not thinking up here about our long-term goals or what's going to make us feel good. We just want right now. So we can probably all relate to a situation like that <laughs> versus that 8 a.m. when we're, we're calm, we're relaxed, we're confident, and we can think, hey, those donuts aren't going to get me to my long-term goal. Uh, disclaimer, I think donuts are great and have a donut if you want them. It's not my, the point of my story. <laughs> Um, but you're so see, glad you said that because I'm like, I don't, I'm a huge believer of like, yeah. we don't want to demonize certain foods. No, so I, no. love that, I love that you're just like, have a donut. I don't care. So yeah. thank you for saying that. Yeah. It could be insert anything else in this moment that gives you immediate gratification. That's not make, not aligning with your long-term goals. So yes, absolutely. Um, so our brains, our brain is conflicted. This is what I say. What, this is what I mean when I say what we're up against. So if you think about other organs like our lungs, one lung doesn't have to talk to the other one and say, hey, when are you beating? When are you pumping? When are you breathing? Like, so I can take a break or, you know, they're not talking to each other. They just do what they do. Our heart, we breathe, our respiratory system, we just do it without thinking, right? 
all of our other organs, all of our other organs don't need rest and don't need to communicate and aren't conflicted. Our only organ who does that is our brain. Oh my gosh. Can we pause there? I've never thought about it in that way. That's a really interesting way to think about this. Yeah. Our, our brain is like so complex. It's the most complex information processing system in any living being. That's why we suffer so much because we have this prefrontal cortex. It also is what makes life so wonderful, but it's hard. So I think knowing that's super important. Another thing to point out along with that is, okay, you touch something hot and your nervous system, your skin tells your nervous system to move your hand away right away, right? Touch something hot, you move your hand away. Our brain does the opposite. Our brain moves into pain, right? So think about that mistake you made at work. You're just going to keep ruminating on it, right? Your brain doesn't say, oh, that's not going to help me to stop thinking, to think about that. Your brain just moves into it and gets, you go down the spiral, right? <laughs> I call it the rabbit hole. It's like, you just, it just, you're just like, oh, you're just going down the rabbit hole. It's just, it's like the thing of, I'm going to give you nine compliments and then one piece of constructive criticism. Yeah. And all you can think about is the constructive criticism, right? right? Exactly. So we have that negativity bias and we have this brain that goes into pain rather than away from it. It likes drama. It likes con. It likes to figure things out and think our brain is actually more active at rest. It's trying to solve problems and figure things out. If we're, if we're um, like too, com have you ever been just like really comfortable and you're like, what am I forgetting? <laughs> you know? So okay. I have a question about this. So yes. And when I'm in that energy of like, um, oh my gosh, I'm feeling really scattered. What I always kind of diagnose that as, and I'm curious how this ties into the brain is my nervous system is in that like fight or flight. Like I'm, I'm in that sympathetic nervous system and I'm needing to dial that down and turn up my parasympathetic nervous system. And mm -hmm. so how is that all connected? Yeah. So that's exactly connected to these two parts of the brain. So what's actually happening is when we are constantly in a stress state, we're overwhelmed, we're constantly working, we have impacts from computer light and TV light and social media, like all these different kinds of stressors. We have pollution, we're not sleeping. So all these chronic stressors in our life are activating the amygdala more and more, which on imaging is growing the amygdala stronger and bigger and our prefrontal cortex is getting smaller. So what I've read in the research is that younger people actually have, their brains are changing because of this chronic stress. Gosh, as a mother of two young children, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and that that is totally something I think about, right, is that she is on screens all the time. Like when we were doing remote learning, she was, she was on screens, and then she wants to take a break and go play her game or watch her show and trying to kind of set boundaries around that, but just like just the level of consumption, right? And and this like on-demand Netflix lifestyle that we all live of, okay, I'm bored next, I'm bored next. And and my husband and I always joke with our kids, we're like, when we were little, you yeah. had to watch commercials. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't. And so I'm just kind of wondering like, you know, how, yeah, that that would play into how their little brains actually develop because they're so used to just like getting things on demand. And, oh, I, I wonder what the answer is to that. I'm just going to Google it. Okay, there it is. Or I'm going to ask Siri or I'm going to ask Google. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's um, a lot of those things are stimulating that fight or flight response, like you said. So it's 
the amygdala is activated, which activates the sympathetic nervous system. So not all of that is bad, right? It's just how we use it and how much we do it and all that gets very complicated. Um, but I think the important point is to notice um, that we can have control. So this thing called neuroplasticity, where we can train our brain to do the opposite. And the more we can get into our prefrontal cortex using a lot of different techniques that we can talk about. And I'm sure, you know, you already did it. You like took a deep breath and shut your eyes, right? That's mindfulness, um, doing things you love, thinking about long-term goals, um, practicing gratitude, tons of things I could keep going on, but those things activate more of the relaxation areas of our brain where we can think more clearly and more long-term. The more we do that, our prefrontal cortex gets stronger and bigger and our stress response, we can dampen and we can control a bit more. So it's really, so the good news is <laughs> we can, we can have control over it. So knowing we have this conflicted brain naturally kind of gives us grace for like when we are stressed and just gives us awareness what we're up against, but knowing, Hey, but I can take control if I do some things proactively. Yeah. I love that. And I also love how you said that it's not, you know, the fight or flight, the amygdala, all of that is there to protect us. You know, it's, it's there for a reason. It's a blessing that it's there. It's not that we are trying to like shrink it so small that it disappears. Like it's, it's really crucial to our survival. Right. So it's, it's kind of almost, I almost, what's coming to me right now is like befriending it. Like how we were saying, befriend your brain. It's like, we're befriending both sides of the brain. And I think what you're sharing is that this, this information that you're teaching us today it helps us to have awareness of why we do the things we do. And because I think a lot of us, I hear a lot of times with my clients where they have a story running that they're just a negative person. And I always kind of, I'm always, I'm, I'm going to dig into that because many times that is not a truth. That's not actually the truth of who they are or their being. It's just, it's just that right now their inner critic feels really, really loud and they have the power to have, you know, the first step is that, that knowledge and that awareness, and then they're able to shift, but that, that is not who they are, right? Like that is not their truth. That's not their higher self truth. It is, it's just this, it's kind of a pattern, right? And it's, it's rooted in what you're saying, which is this like neuroscience piece, right? Yeah. I like to visualize like, you know, a trail in the mountains, if you go hiking or skiing, this, I'm a negative person, that trail has been gone down multiple times, probably for many years. So, you know, when you hike, a trail gets formed, right? The brushes and everything, the bushes and everything get moved aside and you can see the dirt and you can clearly see a path. So that's kind of this like neuro, neural pathway in our brain. It's just gotten strong over the years because we keep practicing it. But if that one time we say something different, I'm beautiful, I'm positive, something different, we create a new pathway, or we strengthen a pathway and that other one gets a little bit weaker. And so that's the practice, right? It's, it's changing these things and knowing that we can have control over it, strengthen a different part. It's like going to the gym and practicing over and over. So our brain likes to make things very easy. Our brain's lazy. Our brain's not going to want to do these things, but we can. It's important to know that we can. I just want to get a t-shirt that says my brain is lazy. <laughs> I just love that so much. But what you're saying, it's like, we get into these ruts and these, like, these are actual neuro pathways and their grooves and their ruts. And I'm trying to remember in yoga, there's, there's a Sanskrit term for this. Do you, do you know what it is? Um, I want to say it's like samasara or something. If anyone knows. Samskara are like our, yeah, our, um, like scars, like past hurts, right? 
Yeah, because there's this, this comes up in the yoga philosophy as well, where it's like, we have these grooves and we have these paths and it's really just about every time you, yeah, you are aware and you're responding instead of reacting or you're pausing and you're, you're holding space for yourself before, you know, and just those little shifts or even just how you talk to yourself, like noticing, oh, wow, I just looked in the mirror and I'm berating myself. I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to check in with what, what am I actually feeling right now? Oh, wow. I'm so freaking exhausted. How can I nourish myself in this moment? And just those times when you can just shift you're, it's like, you're building a muscle, right? As you said, you're going to the gym, you're building the muscle. The more you practice, the more reps you do, the stronger it's going to get and the more intuitive it'll get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said that though. I have to recognize what I'm doing first. I have to recognize those patterns. That's the awareness. That's always the first step, which I'm sure you teach your clients. Like, what are my thoughts? What am I saying repeatedly over and over? If we don't recognize what they are, we can't make a change. Yeah. And absolutely. That is, that's definitely part of the work I do. And I think what's interesting about this conversation too, is that a lot of us subscribe to our thoughts as truth and they shape our decisions. They shape the jobs we go for. They shape the partners we want to go for. They there, and there's just stories. And, and so that's actually what I'm, I'm so passionate about is like getting really curious about like the roots of these beliefs. And a lot of times, you know, it comes from childhood experiences, like real lived experiences, right. That you, that, that you learn from that this really happened to you. And this was the result you got. And so you are now, this is your belief about how the world works. And I love just like breaking open that shell and, and, and helping people to get back in alignment with what really, really truly is, is true. is true because as you're saying it's like our brains I love that I love that idea of like the brain is lazy but it wants to it just wants to stay comfortable and it kind of wants to stay stuck right in these patterns I mean yeah you agree yeah absolutely I think the most powerful question if you get nothing else out of this conversation ask your thoughts is that true that's totally that's totally transformative for a lot of my clients to just start asking themselves that is that true when I said of it, when I'm thinking other people are judging me, well, do I know that? No, I don't actually. Yeah, totally. And another good question: Are you responsible for other people's feelings or no. their reactions to how you feel? No, that's an illusion, right? We can't control others. So, yeah, it's like getting. I love that. It's a very simple, simple tool. That's great. If someone is wanting to build their prefrontal cortex and um, build their resiliency. I know we haven't really even talked about resiliency that much. So if you want to talk about that piece and just some tools of what people can do, what are some next steps? Sure. So uh, I like to differentiate stress management and self-care versus resilience. I think we use a lot of those words interchangeably, um, but I think it's important to note the difference. So if you're driving a car, you have a rear view mirror right? Looking back and you have the windshield looking forward. So if you look in the rear view mirror, that's considered the stress management and self-care. So you go to your in-laws that are difficult. I love my in-laws, by the way, I absolutely love them. Um, But you go to your in-laws and you have a difficult time being with them. And you go there and you know it's going to be difficult and you have a difficult time. It's stressful. So you come home and you maybe um, binge watch TV or or insert behavior, right? To cope with this over drinking, over eating, over something, over, you know, online shop, whatever it is, that's something you don't necessarily want to do, but gives you an immediate gratification. 
So stress management is like looking in the rearview mirror, right? You something happened and you react to it. Um, this also is I want to point out that like these things can be positive as well. You could have positive coping techniques. So you can have this bad experience and call your therapist or you can have this bad experience and take a bath. Right. So stress management can be very helpful. I'm not saying it's not important in self-care. All these things, if we use them to our advantage, they can be very helpful to deal with these past stressors. But the difference is resilience is looking through the windshield and it would be anticipating and doing things differently, knowing you're going to see your in-laws. So looking through the windshield would be, I wonder what my in-laws are going through. I bet they're struggling. How can I be more compassionate? Or it's what am I grateful for about having family nearby? So gratitude, understanding, and compassion. Those are two examples of resilience. So that's not taking a bath or over shopping. It's training your brain to think a different way because again, our brain's gonna wanna just be mad at them or think negatively or be pissed off, right? Just that's what our brain wants to do. So resilience is looking ahead, looking through the windshield and anticipating some of these events. And it's also like practicing as you go. All of these things kind of take practice and getting to know yourself. You can't just do it once, like we said, and boom, have resilience. It's a lot of building the strength. For example, with gratitude, which I think is one of the most important resilience tools, the more you do it, the more things you see that you're grateful for, right? Where you where you search, you'll find. So again, our brain wants to see that one thing that went wrong throughout the day. But if we practice gratitude, we start to see more and more good things. So that's what the looking ahead is. And that's what resilience is. That's the difference. And I think both are important to have healthy coping skills for what already did happen. But that's why, but I think what I hear from a lot of coaches or in the media is like a lot of that, like the reactive. And where I'd love to place emphasis is on the proactive looking forward and building resilience that way. And I, I love this definition. Um, I'll just add one more thing. Resilience, well, stress, I should say, is like a weight on your shoulders. So sometimes in life that weight is super light and breezy and life is good, right? And then sometimes it's so freaking heavy and all these things are going wrong at once and this weight is so heavy on our shoulders. So we can't always control this amount of weight, right? Things happen in life and we can't control how much weight we have on our shoulders. But what we can control is the strength of our legs to lift the weight. So that's what resilience is. Mm, which again, you can't go to the gym just once you have to build that muscle over time. Wow. I love that. So that, yeah, that is an interesting reframe in a way. So, and, and I so appreciate you clearing that up because so sometimes when I think of my self care, it's, it's interesting because sometimes I feel like I'm doing it. Like, for example, after we're done today, I I'm having like pain in my shoulder. So I'm going to go to a massage therapist. To mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so cool. So these things happen all the time. It, I call them like divine alignment, divine timing. It's so interesting. So I'm going to a massage therapist to get this worked out. I hope it's like, it's, it's something's going on. So that is, I, I would say that that self care because and I'm, this is interesting. It's like, I'm connecting these two things in my head because it's almost a reaction to me, my shoulder hurting. Right. So that's, so it's not that I'm going, but sometimes when I see myself care, for example, of, you know, what is something I can do for my future self, which is what you're saying about resiliency is like, it's your future casting out. Mm -hmm. So when I go on my walk, for example, you know, I walk for 30 minutes a day. 
a lot of times when I'm doing that act, it's, it is an act of service for my future self, because I know that that is going to create space in my mind, in my body, in my just alone time that I need. And that's going to help me show up in the rest of the day. And it's so interesting though, because I would, I would define that walk as self-care, but in the way that you're kind of defining it, it's like self-care is kind of like, it's kind of this band-aid or not a band-aid, but like a, a, an anecdote to what's happened. And so I guess I'm just, that's where I'm like, my brain is a little bit confused because I, it feels like it could be both with that term. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I think it, it could be both. I don't think there's no hard lines of stress management and self-care only has to be reactive. Um, I love that you do that. I think that's an important process because let me ask you, what else are you doing when you're walking? Are you, you know, breathing? Are you looking at nature? Are you grateful? You know, what else are you doing when you're walking? All those things. Yeah. I mean, I would say it kind of depends day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, it depends. So I, I view my walk as like a way to check in with myself, with my body. So it definitely is a mindfulness practice, right? It's like bringing me into the present moment. Um, and it's really fun because I have no agenda with my walk. So like, I want to say it was yesterday I went on my walk. And if you saw me walking, you would be like, is she injured or something? Because I was walking so slow. But you guys, that's what's so fun about, about my movement practice is there's no freaking agenda. I'm just like, I'm feeling really low energy and I'm just going to take my sweet time on the walk. So to answer your question, it's not like one or the other, but sometimes I'm very much in the present moment and I'm grateful of my surroundings. And then there's other times that like today I was, I was actually on clubhouse and I was like in a room and I was talking. So I, I wasn't really, you know, I was present in the conversation, not necessarily in nature. So. Sure. Okay. I love that. It can be multiple things for you. Um, so I think, uh, coming back to this like conflicted brain and the objective being to build our prefrontal cortex and shrink our amygdala, I would think anything involving resiliency involves that brain component a lot. So anything that's going to help rewire, reset, turn on the relaxation response um, is going to um, be very proactive um, instead of reactive, I guess, is my main differentiation. And so a lot of these activities could be both. Um, yeah, and I think um, to be more clear too, it, these five things sound very, very cheesy, but they are the most powerful things that have been studied. So I worked with a doctor, or I studied under a doctor who um, worked at the Mayo Clinic, and he studied nurses and doctors and patients on these five principles. And all of them reported um, increased recovery time from surgery or illness, less stress, overall more well being. Um, just all these amazing benefits, no negative benefits, really. So these five things to practice with resilience to leave you with for you to practice um, are compassion. So like I said, how can we just more recognize that others are struggling and be more compassionate? I love the API assume positive intent. So that person didn't mean to cut you off. They're probably having a hard day. You know, that switches something in your brain. But rather than being mad, you're compassionate. So compassion. And that also goes with yourself, which Elizabeth is great at teaching. How can we be more compassionate with ourselves? Um, a compassion, gratitude, like I mentioned before, just bringing more gratitude into your day. And that can look many different ways, prayer, journaling, just saying to yourself, um, pointing out gratitude in others, lots of different ways to sprinkle it in your day. Acceptance. So this is a big one. When, our, when we're in the amygdala, we're just like black or white. And we're resisting. We are resisting, right? Resisting. We're like, nope, stuff it down, stuff it down, resist. And what happens when you stuff it down? You have an explosion sometime. Yeah, so practicing more acceptance with little things, like back to the in-law example, 
I'm going to have my in-laws the rest of my life. How can I be in more acceptance rather than resistance in this situation? Um, compassion, gratitude, acceptance, meaning. So I'm sure you talk about this a lot too. How can I just bring in my values into my everyday life? What feels really aligned with me? What's my purpose or what just gives my life meaning? What wakes me up in the morning? Connecting with all those questions day to day makes you feel really good. And that um, centers our brain to then make decisions that feel really good with ourselves. And that's all prefrontal cortex. Like lizards aren't necessarily thinking about their meaning of life, but we can. So it's pretty cool. Um, maybe they are. We don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then forgiveness is the last one. So gratitude, compassion, acceptance, meaning, forgiveness. Our brain, our amygdala wants to hold grudges. It's protected us in the past from invaders. Um, it's, um, you know, just held on to things. So the more we can forgive, let go, accept, um, the happier our brain will be. And the more we can use this part. So gratitude, compassion, acceptance, meaning, and forgiveness. All of these concepts we've learned, we know, they're kind of cheesy. They're not groundbreaking, but we just need to practice them. <laughs> I always say simple, not easy, right? And and bringing this conversation full circle, it, it goes back to this is part of why it's so powerful to have a coach and a mentor is yeah. they hold you accountable. There's that support, the expertise, and really just holding you to a higher standard. And when you're in that container, you can't, you are called, you are, you are, you know, you step into it, right? You have to be ready. You have to be ready for that coaching and for that next step. So yeah. if people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah, thank you. Um, on my Instagram, I'm my business name is Abundance because it has the word dance in it. And at heart, I'm a dancer, um, but abundance to change our brain, right? From looking at scarcity and lack to more abundance and gratitude. Um, abundance Wellness Coaching. So on Instagram, I'm Abundance underscore Wellness Coach. And then I'm on Facebook, Abundance Integrative Health Coaching. And my website is AbundanceIntegrative.com. And I would just love to connect with anyone who loves this kind of work or wants to learn more about it. Um, a lot of my content is focused on autoimmune disease. So if that calls to you or someone you know who has Crohn's disease, colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, MS, there's so many different kinds of autoimmune disease that people are struggling with. I would love to chat and help support you. And I would love to have you back as a guest again to talk more in depth about all those autoimmune diseases as well. So Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that. Yes, Leslie, this was so awesome. I am so grateful for your time and your love and your support and your expertise. And I'm so excited to connect with you again very soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. And we are sending you all so much love today. <laughs> Namaste, my friends. Thank you. Elizabeth Marbury, and I want to thank you for listening and hanging out with me today. Join our free community of brave soul sisters who are crushing it on their journey to body love and food freedom by going to confidentfemininebodygroup.com. That's confidentfemininebodygroup.com. And be sure to download my free gift while you're there. I'd also love to hang out with you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Elizabeth Marbury. I am sending you so much love today and always. See you next time.